Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Now, Raz, you are a scholar in questions of genocide. Um, and you've been writing about genocide in the context of Gaza. Um, you wrote a piece in The Guardian, actually, about this um, a few weeks ago, which had a very bad faith response to it, largely erasing the fact that you yourself Israeli and Jewish. Can you just start by explaining, because... A lot of people would say, as horrible as maybe we might think what happening in Gaza is, genocide is an inappropriate term um, and it's hyperbolic to to, to use that term. So what do we mean by genocide and why would we talk about it in the context of Gaza? Sure. Well, thank you, uh, Owen, for uh, having me on your uh, show. Um, I think that uh, uh, there's a number of things to understand here. First is that uh, um, it's important to know that in international law, there is actually no hierarchy, right? So it's not that genocide is is actually worse than uh, crimes against humanity or war crimes, right? It's just a different kind of crime, right? Uh, that does have a higher threshold, uh, uh, and we'll get to this in a minute. But uh, um, but there is the the image uh, in popular imagination that there is actually some kind of a hierarchy uh, is is not the case in international law. So that's the first thing to to note about this. Now, genocide, according to the UN Convention on the Prevention and Punishment of the Crime of Genocide from December 1948, requires two main things. Uh, uh, one is intent, and we're talking about special intent, and that's the uh, high threshold that uh, I was referring to. Um, and the intent in the language of the convention means intent to destroy a group, and that's a national, ethnic, religious, or racial group, as such. Okay. Now, as such is very important because it means that members of the group need to be targeted as members of the group, not just as individuals. Right. So the intent is very important. It's usually very, very difficult to prove intent. And that's why we have very few cases recognized as genocide since World War II, right? For the Rwanda genocide. But we can think about all the wars and mass violence in the former Yugoslavia in the 1990s. And only the Srebrenica massacre is recognized as uh, genocide. In any case, we have very few cases of genocide because it's very difficult usually to, to show intent to destroy. And that's what differentiates actually genocide from, for example, war crimes or crimes against humanity. And then once you establish intent, you also need to show the dynamics of violence on the ground, that they are actually genocidal in the sense that they fall into one or more of the five acts of genocide listed in the convention, which is killing members of the group, causing serious bodily or mental harm, creating conditions calculated to bring about the destruction of the group. And then there's also preventing birth within the group or forcibly transferring children from one group to the other. Now, the case of uh, Israel's attack on Gaza is actually very uh, unique. Uh, um, it's actually exceptional, I think, in a number of ways, but it's but it's unique in the sense of dis- discussing it uh, as what I think it is, that is genocide, 
because the intent is so clearly articulated, right? And it's articulated, it's articulated throughout uh, Israeli uh, media and society and politics now. And anyone who follows Hebrew language sources is exposed to shocking, shocking language by members of parliament, by journalists, on social media, in public spaces, calling to annihilate Gaza, to destroy Gaza, to flatten Gaza, to kill everyone, so on and so forth. But it's articulated since the 7th of October, actually, by people with what's called an international law command authority, right, or command responsibility. That is state leaders, members of the war cabinet, um, and senior army officers. And here we have dozens, dozens of pieces of evidence so far uh, of people with command authority. And we can, you know, uh, uh, um, we can name a few key examples in a second. Uh, but I want to just emphasize also that the issue of intent here, uh, uh, there's two additional things that are important to note. One is that it also comes in the Israeli case with a lot of dehumanizing language, right? Uh, and we'll refer to that. So there is intent to destroy, but the intent to destroy here is also accompanied with explicit dehumanizing language. And then there is a, a language that actually should uh, um, get us to think about historical cases of genocide. I'm referring specifically to, for example, ideas about deporting all the uh, Palestinians in Gaza to the desert, right? Uh, because we know that deserts actually have been used uh, in genocides historically in the 20th century, specifically as weapons of genocide. And I'm thinking specifically about the Armenian genocide, but also the destruction of the Herer and Nama in German Southwest Africa in the early 20th century and other cases. So we can come back, we can come back to that. Um, but let me just break down for a minute these issues of intent and the dynamics of violence. So intent here, uh, uh, I think we all remember Israeli President uh, uh, Herzog uh, early on referring to, quote, all the nation there, that is all the people, all the Palestinians in Gaza are responsible for the Hamas attack. So taking a whole uh, um, population, 2.3 million people, half of whom, by the way, are under the age of 18, right? And basically portraying them as enemy as enemy targets, right? As legitimate enemy targets. Now, that's a clear genocidal language, right? And again, we've seen it, for example, in the Armenian genocide, where the Ottoman authorities decided the, the whole Armenian population of the empire are actually Russian agents in the, in the frame of World War I, uh, and the Caucasus front with uh, Russia. Um, so we have this kind of intent. Then we have Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu, who early on promised to turn Gaza into, quote, rubble, which indeed Israel did, right? It's also important to see that, is, that Israeli authorities and the Israeli army did what they said they'll do, right? But then on the 29th of October, as Israel was starting its uh, 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 ground invasion, um, Netanyahu invoked the biblical story of Amalek, which is uh, a story about total destruction. Total, that's the key here, right? Uh, where the Israelites uh, are ordered to destroy all of Amalek. He then doubled down on this a few days later, and later in a spe special letter to uh, Israeli soldiers and officers in the army, um, and again invoking the, the, the biblical story 
um, Abimelech. So we have um, we have a clear, basically, message from the head of the state, right, um, about the need to destroy a population that, as the president portrayed them, are all actually enemies. And we've we've seen this again and again. Uh, uh, the portrayal of all uh, Palestinians in Gaza as enemies. Um, now, we also, as I said, we have dehumanizing language. Israel Defense Minister Yoav Gallant, as we know, on the 9th of October, proclaimed the total siege right, policy, uh, cutting off food, water, fuel, medical supplies uh, uh, to Gaza and describing Palestinians in Gaza as, quote, human animals. We also have Israeli uh, state leaders and senior army officers and politicians describing Palestinians in Gaza as Nazis and basically placing the, uh, the Hamas attack on 7th of October uh, um, in the frame of the Holocaust, right? Now, U.S. President Biden did this as well, and actually uh, uh, senior politicians in, the, in Europe have also uh, done this and reinforcing this demonizing and dehumanizing language of uh, portraying Palestinians as Nazis. Now, it's important to say, and uh, uh, the Hamas attack on 7th of October was an act of horrendous mass murder. It's without a doubt a, a case of war crime. And there are also crimes against humanity when you think about acts of torture, hostage taking, which is actually an ongoing crime, right? Uh, but, it's not a, but it's not a crime related to the Holocaust in any way. And it's important to stress this. Uh, 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 this this idea of blurring completely different context, right, of powerless Jews during World War II facing one of the most powerful states and armies, Nazi Germany, um, and its allies. Um, and here we have a very powerful state, Israel, with a powerful army, a nuclear power, backed by all the Western uh, countries. And we have Palestinians who are for decades under Israeli settler colonial rule, Israel military occupation, siege, uh, um, um, decades of documented uh, uh, crimes against them. Uh, very, very different context. None of this takes away from the horrific nature of the Hamas attack on 7th of October, but the portrayal of, of the Hamas and then by uh, extension Palestinians, and in some cases it's just explicit, all Palestinians are, are Nazis. And again, this is something that is reproduced also by politicians in the U.S. and the, and the European Union, um, uh, that's a dehumanizing uh, uh, element that also then, of course, if you're fighting Nazis, as former Israel Prime Minister Naftali Bennett said in his tantrum on Sky News on 12th of October, we're fighting Nazis, then there are no law applies, right? Everything is permissible, right? And of course, uh, the legitimate uh, aim of destroying everyone and everything in Gaza uh, it becomes becomes clear that is indeed uh, genocidal. Now, the dynamics of violence on the ground, so when we take all the elements of intent, the language, uh, a dehumanizing language, uh, portraying Palestinians as a whole as enemies, uh, human animals, uh, think about the discourse of human shields, which is in incredibly important to note here that Palestinians are humanized only when they appear as, quote, human shields, right? Uh, uh, which is, of course, uh, uh, incredibly uh, uh, dehumanizing. When you take all of this together with the dynamics of violence, now what we see on the ground is very clear. Uh, Israel has killed so far more than 12,000 Palestinians, more than 5,000 of them children, about 1,000 babies, um, um, injuring more than 30,000 Palestinians. We have 
half of all, more than half of all the buildings in Gaza have been destroyed. Agricultural land has been bombed and destroyed. Uh, the north in particular is, there's very little left of it, I think. Uh, um, the, there's documented use of white phosphorus bombs by Human Rights Watch. Uh, Israel has dropped, in general, more than 20,000 tons of explosives on Gaza in a bit more than a month. That's at least one and a half Hiroshima bombs, as we, as we know. So any kind of claim that Israel is targeting specifically Hamas militants or Hamas military installations, right? If you think about the levels of violence and destruction and the weapons used, that's an absurd claim, of course, right? Uh, and, and it confirms actually what Israeli army spokesperson Daniel Agari said early on, that the goal is actually destruction and not accuracy in his own words, right? Um, so, but the key here, I think, is not just, again, it's enough to show that the levels, you know, killing once we have intent is indeed genocidal killing, and, and the numbers actually are not the key issue here, right? But when you think about the total siege proclamation, right, the cutting off of water, food, uh, 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 fuel, medical supplies, together with a forced displacement of more than a million and a half Palestinians of the 2.3 million Palestinians in Gaza, so far, right, especially because Israel has ordered the evacuation of Palestinians from the north to the south, that now in the last six weeks have created actually, in the language of the convention, conditions calculated to bring about the destruction of the group. Why? Because indeed, the siege has created what it was meant to create. That is, we now face starvation conditions in Gaza, right? Palestinians, they are facing starvation, surviving on less than two pieces of bread a day, uh, three liters of water a day. Now, the World Health Organization recommends at least 100 liters of water a day for everything, cooking, washing, drinking. Of course, Palestinians are now surviving on three liters of water a day. Medical supplies have run out. Fuel is running out. We know that hospitals have been bombed. Uh, uh, they have no uh, uh, um, medical supplies and fuel to uh, uh, do what hospitals need to, to save lives and treat uh, 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 people, certainly in a time uh, uh, of war. Um, uh, so we have now unbelievable overcrowding conditions uh, uh, that are ripe for the uh, outbreak of uh, infectious diseases. Um, so indeed, conditions calculated to bring about the destruction of the group in the language um, of the UN Convention. So we have both the intent and the dynamics of violence uh, uh, on the ground. And, you know, again, because the intent is expressed so explicitly, so directly, in such unashamed uh, uh, ways, and it's continued to be expressed in this way, um, then I do think that what we're seeing in front of our eyes is a textbook case uh, uh, of genocide. I mean, just on that, on the, the Iraq body count, which is a very credible project, which has looked at the numbers of civilians who died after the invasion of Iraq through various forms of violence, often actually People suggest they're significantly underestimating because they're using publicly available data. Um, but they analysed the data from the Gaza Health Ministry, which is often criticised because it's run by Hamas, but in previous conflicts, their final death tolls have been validated by Israel and the United Nations. And they analysed the publicly released names, ages and IDs, which are actually Israeli-approved identification numbers as well. And they concluded that few of the victims can be combatants because they looked at the modest excess of adult males killed, but they pointed out 
that was a modest access and it could be explained by the greater exposure to risk, for example, in rescue efforts. And lots of people have criticized the kind of women and childrening of, you know, focusing on because innocent men have been killed as well. But the fact that 70% of the dead are women and children underlies that this cannot be anything other than overwhelmingly a mass death amongst the civilian population, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Also, to, I think, consider here that uh, um, we're talking about, as I said, more than 12,000 uh, Palestinians killed so far, and more than 5,000 of them are children. That in itself tells us, you know, almost half of them uh, um, are children. Of course, half of the population in Gaza our uh, uh, children, but also when we put us, you know, in, in perspective, we have to understand, for example, in terms of in relative numbers, right? Not in, I mean, total numbers itself is quite shocking. We're talking about six months, but in relative numbers, if you take uh, uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine, for example, and you take the higher figures even, okay? You put the figures in the tens of thousands, right? Of, uh, um, Ukrainians killed by the Russian bombings and the Russian invasion, the numbers in Gaza would mean that we would have about 300,000 Ukrainians killed. Of course, in almost two years, and here we're talking about six weeks, right? Now, none of this is to minimize Russia's invasion and bombing of Ukraine. Um, actually, quite to the contrary, right? If US President Biden in um, uh, April of 2022, two months into the Russians' invasion of Ukraine, said that what he's seeing, and it was his personal opinion, not the position of the US government, but still, he said that he thinks that the Russian violence in Ukraine is genocide, right? And he said, we'll let the international lawyers debate and discuss, right? But it sure seems like that to me. That's a quote of Biden. Well, if you look at uh, Israel's attack on Gaza now, and as you said, in terms of the numbers, right, and we think about them in, you know, relatively to the population. And again, remind everyone, we're talking about a population under 16-year-old siege. It's a population in a territory uh, under Israeli military occupation, recognized internationally as a uh, uh, military-occupied um, uh, territory. Uh, and the levels of destruction and violence, right, together with the annihilatory language and intent to destroy, right, then if Biden saw Russians attack on Ukraine as genocide, right, then we can definitely, right, it sure seems that way, right, in Israel's attack uh, on Gaza. And again, this does not at all minimize the Russian violence in Ukraine. If anything, it highlights it even more. Yeah. And when I put this to Piers Morgan um, last week, when I discussed this issue on his show, he put it to me that there was a big difference because, um, in the case of Israel, there had been Hamas murdering around a thousand innocent Israeli civilians. And um, I mean, we can park, um, I suppose, start on the clock on 7th of October. Um, but in the case of Ukraine, uh, Russia had just unjustifiably invaded. But I suppose I'll, I'll put that to you because I think maybe the answer is a bit obvious to people, but I'll just put that to you. He's That's why he, because he said what Russia was doing in Ukraine is genocide, but what Israel is doing in Gaza isn't because the cause of each violence is different. Yeah, well, I mean, this, I, I think this goes to the heart of the, of the misconception, another misconception, right? I mean, a lot of people don't understand what the meaning of genocide is in international law and really why should they, right? So it's important to explain that. But there's another misconception that Israel's attack on Gaza now 
is uh, a legitimate uh, uh, is legitimate because it's a response to the Hamas mass murder on 7th of October and it's their right to self-defense, right? Mm-hmm. Well, according to international law, uh, Israel does not actually have a right to self-defense in occupied territory, right? No, that, that right according to international law doesn't uh, uh, exist. That's important to, to, to mention this. Now, does Israel have a right and actually a duty and a responsibility to repel the attack against it? Absolutely. Absolutely, right? But to respond in a genocidal assault right against uh, a Gaza as it has since 7th of October, no. And it doesn't act, not even the right of self-defense as we know it between between states because Gaza is occupied territory, right? So that's yeah. one under thing. Lee, which people don't realize, under international law, Gaza remains under occupation, has done despite the Israeli army withdrawing in 2005. Absolutely, don't. because Israel controls uh, the border. It controls what goes in and out for 16 years now. This is a, the longest siege, by the way, in modern history, oh. which was already in itself a clear violation of inter- international humanitarian law, right? Uh, uh, with repeated attacks against the population uh, uh, over the 16-year siege period, which has now been upgraded, right, to the total siege uh, policy. So very, actually, indeed, a very different situation than the Russian-Ukraine war, right? Uh, But not uh, a difference that would suggest that Russia's attack is genocide, whereas Israel's attack is legitimate self-defense. Not at all, actually, right? In that sense, but again, it doesn't. This does not minimize, right, the uh, uh, the horrendous levels of violence of the unprovoked Russian attack on Ukraine. It just means that the the idea that we have two states here, that is Russia and Ukraine, and here a state attacking an, a territory that it, it occupies for decades and has laid a siege on for sixteen years. Yes, we can definitely talk about a genocidal assault here, even though we had indeed. A, a horrendous attack by Hamas on 7th of October, that does not mean that Israel's response cannot be genocide. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. In terms of intent and incitement, I just want to just check something in terms of maybe where lines are blurred. So... Benjamin Netanyahu, Prime Minister, if he invokes Amalek in the Bible, which calls for the killing of men, women and children and livestock, intent. The Deputy Speaker of the Knesset, the Israeli Parliament, all the preoccupation with whether or not there is internet in Gaza showing that we've learned nothing, we are too humane, burn Gaza now or less. That would be incitement, wouldn't it, because he's not a he's a senior politician, but he's not in government. I was just wondering then where these would fall, because you've got former senior military figures, but they're not in the Israeli military, but maybe they're indicative of Israeli military thinking. So the former top attorney general of the military said, if you want to destroy Hamas, then you have to destroy Gaza, because everything in Gaza, almost every building there is a stronghold 
uh, for Hamas, whilst another general, uh, former general, the former head of the Israeli National Security Council, Major General Gilra Island, said that Israel should not shy away from the spread of epidemics and humanitarian disasters in occupied Gaza to reach victory faster. So where does all that fall, basically? Yeah, so there's, I mean, we have to understand that incitement is a separate crime under the UN Genocide Convention. Uh, mm. So when we talk about intent and the dynamics of violence, that's Article 2 of the convention. And when we talk about uh, incitement, we're talking about uh, crime under Article 3. It's a separate crime. And it also means, by the way, that people could be um, held responsible uh, to incitement, even if genocide doesn't follow, right? But certainly if genocide does follow, and, and especially, especially when incitement happens during the dynamics of violence, as we've seen, you've mentioned Major General Gira Island who was the former head of the Israel National Security Council yesterday in a thoroughly genocidal piece in the bit large Israeli daily, right? where again, basically reproducing this idea that all the people in Gaza are legitimate enemies, right? Uh, again, half of them are under the age of 18, I wanna remind everyone. Uh, and also uh, uh, something that I think have been, has been overlooked in uh, Island's uh, article yesterday, again, referring to the Palestinians in Gaza as Nazis, basically, right? Uh, 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 comparing the situation to Nazi Germany at the end of World War uh, uh, II. Um, so indeed, these kinds of uh, uh, articles, um, when we have from the 7th of October, Israeli members of parliament who are calling basically for a second Nakba, quote unquote, and here we're talking about, of course, the Nakba is the uh, destruction of Palestinian society in the 1948 war and the creation of the state of Israel, the mass deportations of 750,000 Palestinians and the destruction of hundreds of their uh, villages. And now we're seeing again, explicit calls for a second uh, uh, Nakba, which is indeed taking place in front of our eyes in Gaza, right? The mass, the forced displacement of, of more than a million and a half Palestinians from north to south Gaza. And now, by the way, Israel, important to say, is also bombing the southern part of Gaza, where it told Palestinians to, to move for their safety, right? So no place is safe in, in Gaza. But we're also seeing from, from day one, from the 7th of October, Israeli journalists, uh, uh, senior Israeli journalists, TV anchors, uh, uh, in articles on TV calling to flatten Gaza, to turn Gaza into, quote, a slaughterhouse, uh, to kill everyone uh, 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 in Gaza, you know, calling for a million bodies, quote, unquote, and so on and so forth. Many, many, uh, again, dozens of these pieces of evidence. And these are, you know, shamelessly, right, on social media, again, on TV and newspaper articles, and they're ongoing. Right, they're still six weeks into, and we still see these uh, uh, proclamations. These are not intent to destroy because they're not people with command authority, but they definitely fall under incitement. And I want to remind everyone that in the Rwanda genocide, in the uh, post post-war uh, trials, uh, post-genocide trials, uh, journalists uh, uh, stood trial in the media case for incitement to genocide as the genocide was, was going on there in the case of radio and newspapers. So we definitely see this and this adds to uh, uh, to this atm to this annihilatory atmosphere basically. And again, it's uh, anyone who follows you know, uh, Hebrew language sources, the uh, Israeli public spaces and social media and media are just filled with annihilatory and destructive language. It's really, really shocking. Well, just in terms of accountability. So a, a really an example that always hung over my childhood was Bosnia as a particularly obscene 
I suppose, case study in, in, in atrocities of modern times. Um, it's estimated that around 40,000 civilians were killed in, between 1992 and 1995 in Bosnia. The majority of people who actually died are soldiers. So it's about uh, over 100,000 in total died, 60% or so were soldiers. The rest were civilians. Nearly 70% were Bosniak Muslims. Over 7,000 Serb civilians were killed as well. I suppose you could argue the equivalent there would be with Israeli civilians. It's not exactly the same, obviously, but um, in terms of, um, you know, the Bosnian Serb civilians suffered, did suffer great atrocities. The first big massacre in the Bosnian war was actually of Serb civilians. Um, but the, the point, I mean, firstly, Bosnia's pre-war population was twice that of Gaza. So after six weeks, the proportion of dead Palestinians is actually similar to that of Bosniaks after three years, which is pretty astonishing. Um and I say that partly the death toll, we don't know exactly. The Euro-Mediterranean Human Rights Monitor chaired by Professor Richard Fork at Princeton, who's the former UN Special Rapporteur on Palestine, suggests that the death toll in Gaza is nearer to over 16,000. Um, but there was accountability in Bosnia, as the point I'm making. You had actually a death toll, which is actually comparable over a much bigger space of time. You also there had, you know, Bos Bosnian Serb civilians suffered as well, but we rightly see Bosnian Serb nationalist armies as the main aggressive instigator of what we would describe as genocide. But I suppose the difference is there was accountability there and no one can rationally, well, people would look at Israel and go, this is a key Western state and ally. These atrocities have essentially been justified and rationalized by the West who are ignoring blatant rhetoric, intent and incitement, not even commenting on it. Uh, they occasionally say Israel needs to abide by international law, but by never pointing out transgressions, that's a complete platitude. That means nothing. What do you think of possible ever accountability in the way that Bosnia there was accountability? Yeah, so it's a very it's a very important question. There's also something to, set, to be said about prevention when we talk about genocide, but we oh, yeah. might, might comment on that a bit later. But in terms of uh, uh, accountability, so I, I, there is an issue that needs to be understood that uh, Israel has impunity in the international legal system, right? I mean, uh, it's clear because we have decades of violations of international law, war crimes, crimes against humanity. The mere fact of the occupation, the military occupation of the West Bank and uh, uh, East Jerusalem and the Gaza Strip that has extended now for decades and decades and decades. So it's not temporary, quote unquote, according to international law, right? And the settler, the settlement project, of course, right? All these are violations of international law. Um, um, Israel has impunity, the repeated attacks on Gaza, the impunity that Israel enjoys is actually baked into the international legal system from the very beginning. What do I mean? The international legal system emerged really after World War II uh, with, a, with the Holocaust clearly as a major context. And with the Holocaust, with the idea that the Holocaust, this or the other, as a unique event, as exceptional, right? Um, now, this was very important because it meant that Jews actually are unique or exceptional people. Now, that's not very uh, surprising when we think about Western, uh, the Judeo-Christian Western world, where Jews indeed play a foundational role. And the Nazis thought that Jews actually played a foundational role in this world that they wanted to destroy in order to create a Nazi world. So the international legal system came and, you know, turned this uh, Nazi portrayal on its head. And now Jews again play a positive foundational role in the Western world. And that's why the Holocaust after the 1990s and the end of the Cold War becomes this marker of Western identity because the Holocaust is unique, because Jews as a people are unique, and therefore Israel is, as a self-proclaimed Jewish state is also unique or, or exceptional. And that's really the basis of its impunity. 
the idea from the very beginning that Israel could commit really any crime under international law, but, you know, uh, uh, certainly genocide, even though we don't have this hierarchy in international law, right, uh, became uh, really unspeakable, unimaginable, right? Now, because of the what we're seeing now, because of the explicit intent, because of the level of incitement, because of this annihilatory language in Israeli society and politics, politics and media, because of the dynamics of violence that we're all witnessing, right? 45 days, and we're all witnessing this mass slaughter, right? Uh, uh, the invasion of hospitals, starvation policies, mass killing, horrific destruction, right? I mean, Gaza now looks worse than Ukrainian cities under Russian bombardment and invasion, right? Because of all this, the system, the system of international law that is based on Israel impunity in many ways is now shaking, right? And we're seeing it in various ways. We're seeing it in referrals to the ICC. We're seeing it in the way that, that the ICC prosecutor himself is talking about what's going on very, in, in very you know, uh, uh, very cautiously uh, and keeping it all still within the frame of war crimes for now, right? Uh, but it's it's looking more and more likely, right? that if the ICC moves forward, as I think it should, by the way, in investigating and issuing arrest warrants and uh, ideally putting on trial Hamas people who planned and perpetrated the massacre on 7th of October, it's looking more and more likely that the ICC will have no choice, right? And the prosecutor will have no choice, but to actually put also to issue arrest warrants and accelerate the investigation, the ongoing investigation on the situation in Palestine since 2021, um, and issue arrest warrants and ideally put Israelis uh, on trial as well, even if only for war crimes and perhaps crimes against humanity, right? But this will be an unprecedented issue, right? That Israel's might face uh, the international legal system in this way. So, you know, it's, uh, uh, I do hope this will happen. Uh, uh, it seems with every passing day more and more uh, likely. Um, um, so yes, there is there is a chance that something like this could happen. Of course, thinking within the perspective of genocide here is even more important because I do think that we have to adhere to the facts and to the truth. And what we are seeing in front of our eyes is an unfolding genocide. And so, if Israel is in due, indeed faced the international legal system here and the you know arrest warrants and investigation in the ICC, it should also include the crime of genocide. Just finally, then prevention, because that is actually important to know. Because that, if when you said before, for example, this is a textbook case of a genocide, I suppose, and this again is about interpretation and how words are understood. Because many would say, might go, well, that's fatalistic because obviously the vast majority of Palestinians have not been killed. Pierce Morgan's response to me, actually, I should have added, was it's not genocide because they haven't killed everyone. That, obviously, that hasn't ever happened actually in in any genocide, um, even though there are different scales of of, of killing, obviously. Um, but that that is this that should this be described as the risk of a genocide, or and and therefore that that helps kind of language of prevention. We're talking about this could happen rather than is happening. Or is it correct to say this is a genocide, even though the logical conclusion of that genocide can still be prevented? Does that make sense? Yeah, no, so you're talking about two different things. One is how to stop, you know, what we're seeing in Gaza is a genocidal assault, as I as I explained, right? Yeah. So the question of how it stops, which is a very complex question in itself, right? Uh, uh, even though it seems like we, we should all stand behind the idea of a ceasefire and saving lives, right? 
um, but stopping a genocide, and you know, again, states have a responsibility, uh, according to the Genocide Convention, according to Article One, to intervene to stop an unfolding uh, uh, genocide, and that's why, by the way, the Center for Constitutional Rights has uh, filed a lawsuit last week against uh, U.S. President Biden and uh, 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 State Secretary Blinken and Defense Secretary Austin uh, for complicity with Israel genocide, but also uh, 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 calling on them to adhere to their responsibility, you know, not to, to contribute to stopping the genocide and not to providing further arms and diplomatic cover uh, uh, to Israel as it perpetrates uh, uh, genocide. So stopping a genocide is, is, is one thing. It's important to say that genocide, genocide is always a process, right? And we can think about the longer-term process of Israeli mass violence against Palestinians since the 1948 Nakba until today. But we can also think about the genocidal assault on Gaza since 7th of October as a process. So it never happens, you know, that everyone is killed immediately, right? In this kind of in this kind of a uh, uh, of a way, right? And indeed, the Nazi assault on Jews, if we think about this paradigmatic case, right, was a long was took years. It took the Nazis years until they came to the final solution of the Jewish question, and actually in the spring of 1942, so very late in the war, right, the final version of the final solution of the Jewish question, that is to murder every Jew within German reach, right? So these, these, these are processes, these are not an event, so this comment about why Israel has not killed all the people in Gaza so far in six weeks, right, which has killed a lot of people in Gaza, in six weeks, and and as you said, we also know that there are thousands and thousands of people buried under the rubble. So we actually don't know the exact yeah. numbers right so far. Okay. Uh, uh, so that's that's one thing to say. Prevention, then, which is the other element of this, is referring to Palestinians in the West Bank under Israeli occupation and East Jerusalem under Israeli occupation, and then also Israeli Palestinians, the Palestinian citizens of Israel, almost two million uh, people. And this is where prevention kicks in because if we think about the idea that all Palestinians in Gaza are enemies, right? And if we think about uh, uh, the annihilatory language in Israeli politics and society and media now, right? And if we think about the fact that Palestinian citizens of Israel have been actually portrayed as enemies, potential enemies, since the very beginning. So the 156,000 Palestinians who survived the Nakba and remained within what became Israel right, in 1948, were immediately put under military rule until 1966. So immediately considered actually potential enemies, right? Mm -hmm. But also if we just think about the recent history, 2018, the Israeli Jewish nation state law, which actually portrayed all Palestinian citizens of the state, right, as second class citizens, right? Uh, um, so we have a lot of indications historically but also now with the annihilatory language uh, that Palestinian citizens of Israel, and there's of course hundreds of people arrested. We know that the settler minister of uh, uh, national security, Itamar Benville, has issued thousands of weapons to people in Israel, also the West Bank, and we have set up hundreds of self-defense uh, units in Israel. So Palestinian citizens of Israel are very right now to uh, uh, be very fearful of what awaits them in this atmosphere of Pal all Palestinians in Gaza are enemies because this extends, right, to all Palestinians under Israeli rule. In the West Bank, we have an intensification since 7th of October of an already quite intense ethnic cleansing campaign in Area C, which is 60% of the occupied 
uh, West Bank, again, with hundreds of arrests, with uh, actually more than 15 whole communities of Palestinians in the West Bank uprooted and forcibly displaced since 7th of October. Uh, hundreds of Palestinians have been killed in the West Bank since 7th of October, and then hundreds in 2023 before 7th of October, right? So, of course, the escalation of violence against uh, Palestinians under Israel occupation, but the annihilatory language, the ongoing genocide in Gaza now, and the history of looking at Palestinians under Israeli control everywhere as basically enemies, right? This means that we should be paying attention from the perspective of prevention at the West Bank and East Jerusalem and Palestinians uh, in Israel. And this is not receiving anywhere near the attention that it should. It's certainly within the frame of uh, prevention when we think about the genocidal assault uh, uh, in Gaza. And with every passing day, there is more and more to be concerned about what awaits to Palestinians in other areas under Israeli occupation and rule. Raz, firstly, thank you so much for that. That was meticulous. And I think it's so important to go into the details of this just because I think the argument is so compelling and overwhelming that the detail makes it very difficult to pick apart. Um, though I'm sure there will be those, obviously, who are apologists for the horror currently being unleashed against Gaza who will seek to do that. But it, it's such an overwhelming case. And I think people can see it was it's grounded not in, 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 in emotion, but in, in very solid and compelling evidence. So I, I, I can't thank you enough, Raz, for being able to just go through all of this in, in such detail and, 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 and provide this overwhelming but chilling case. Thank you so much. Thank Thanks you. so much. And, and for everyone watching and listening, do press like and subscribe and share this video around. And thanks again, Raz. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.